0: so have you ever been bowling some people don't like going bowling because the music they play in the bowling alley is just so loud but it's not that loud because you can still hear a pin drop got them all day all day have you ever tried to bowl with a ping pong ball yeah bowling with a ping-pong ball you know it really doesn't matter what you do you can't really bowl with a ping-pong ball I was reading this little scientific article on uh, the difference between a ping-pong ball and a bowling ball and it was talking about how a ping-pong ball no matter how hard and fast it's heading toward those pins the chances of it knocking those pins down are pretty slim however things are are different for a bowling ball see that ping-pong ball just doesn't have enough weight to do what needs to be done. But a bowling ball, it's got enough weight that you could barely roll the ball down the lane and it would probably knock over the pins. We've all seen this if you've ever bowled. There's that little tiny kid, it's like three years old and they lay flat on their stomach in the middle of the lane and they take the bowling ball and they just kind of barely push it. And it rolls and it rolls and it rolls and it rolls very slowly and then it just barely taps that first pin and they all fall down. And like Enrico Palazzo, umpire in a baseball game, it's a strike. I mean, just boom, right there in the middle of everything. We, we've seen that. Because you see, movement is not enough, there has to be some, some weight behind it. The same is true in life. If we find ourselves in the middle of, of stress or strain or worry or fear or depression at home, at work, at school, at church, or wherever we may be, We find ourselves in those moments and we're struggling because sometimes all we're doing is moving. And see, movement and energy and activity are not always enough. There's got to be some weight behind it because with no weight, no matter what it is we're dealing with, we'll keep throwing gutter balls. So, what is the weight that we need, maybe more than any other weight, when it comes to the most impossible? moments of life, the hardest moments of life, the most difficult moments of life. What's the weight that we could really use to give us the momentum that we really need? We continue our series, Higher, where we are looking at very specific words from Jesus, words that can change our lives and change the lives of the people around us. And our message today is Higher Momentum. We're going to be looking at the last part of Matthew chapter 5. And and in the last part, we see Jesus teaching his friends, his his disciples, his closest friends. And in this moment that we're going to look at today, he's teaching them about this weight that gives the momentum that we need the most in life. So what is this weight that creates this momentum? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That right there is why you should abandon all other religions, why you should abandon all other philosophies, and you should give everything to following Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christianity is so easy, right? Easy, right? Love your enemies. Piece of cake. Stroll in the park. Easy as pie. It's like butter. Anybody can do this. This is easy. No, no problem at all. And and praying for those that persecute you, I can do that with my eyes closed. Come on, that one was pretty good too. If we're honest, we really don't like the notion of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us because really it feels impossible. But it's not impossible. It's not impossible because Jesus has called us to do it. And just before he left earth, what did Jesus say about the impossible moments in life? This is what he said, Matthew 28, 20. I am with you always, always. Now, if he was leaving the earth, how can he say he was going to be with us always? Well, that could be a super fun, deep conversation, but I want to make sure everybody gets to the lunch buffet before they pack everything up. So we're going to keep it really simple, okay? Jesus is with us always in promise, in presence, and in practice. Jesus is with us always by promise, by presence, and by practice. I am not with my wife 24 hours a day but my promise to be her husband is with her 24 hours a day and she knows she can count on that promise. If the car breaks down, she knows she can call me. If the septic tank backs up, she knows she can call me. If she's making that special green bean recipe that she has and there's leftover bacon, she can call me. If she wants to go shopping for a few hours on Harbison Boulevard the day before Christmas, she can call one of our four kids. It's fine. It's not a problem. It's good. See, see, we understand the concept of what a promise actually does in our life every day. And Jesus made a promise to be our Savior, Redeemer, and Friend forever. And as a Christian, we are always living in that promise. We can count on that promise. That promise can't be taken away. Why? Because for six hours, one Friday... Jesus was crucified to satisfy the penalty of our sin. On purpose, Jesus was crucified to satisfy the penalty of my sin and your sin. And after he was crucified, Jesus' dead, lifeless body was placed in a tomb. And three days later, his dead, lifeless body was raised from the dead supernaturally powerfully by God he was raised from the dead never to die again and to be a Christian means that we are right now positionally raised up with Jesus according to the, the truth of the Bible we are right now as we sit in this room if you're a believer you have already been positionally raised up with Jesus Christ right now And when you die, or if Jesus returns before we make it to the lunch buffet today, and by the way, that could happen. And if Jesus returns, or if we die, we will go from being positionally raised up with Jesus to being permanently raised up with Jesus. And there is nothing that will happen at home, at work, at school, at the hospital, in Washington, D.C., or in any other place in the world that can ever change or separate us from that promise in Jesus Christ. The promise is that Jesus is with us always. And because of that promise, we can love our neighbors and pray for those who persecute us. And it's not just the promise, it's the presence. The presence of Jesus. How is Jesus present with us? Well, not long before he was arrested, Jesus said this to his friends, John chapter 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name He will teach you all things and remind you of all that I just said to you. So just a few moments ago, we talked about being positionally raised up. that We are right now as a Christian, positionally raised up with Jesus. Well, how do we get positionally raised up? How how did that happen? Well, it happened because of the Holy Spirit. God, by his very unique and sovereign nature, is in... Three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit quickens a person's heart and mind and soul to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel, to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. And once a person has received salvation in Jesus Christ, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in that believer's heart and mind and soul. And that residence means that he becomes the presence of Jesus in the heart of a believer. And because the Holy Spirit in this unique, sovereign, unexplainable, supernatural, awesome way is always with every single Christian, every single believer, he becomes the presence of Christ. And because of that presence, we can love our enemies and we can pray for those who persecute us. But it's not just the promises, it's not just the presence, it's also the practice of Jesus. During those six hours on that Friday on the cross, what was it that Jesus said at one point? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus loved his enemies. It was his practice. Jesus prayed for his persecutors. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed for his executors. And if we're following Jesus, we can too. We we actually, we can. See, part of the fuel that we need for loving our enemies and, and praying for those who persecute us, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. It's wrapped up in what he did. It's wrapped up in the love of Christ. It is the promise and the presence and the practice of Jesus that helps us pursue what feels impossible. And it does, it feels impossible. It feels impossible to, to love our neighbors. It feels, I mean, I love our enemies. It feel, sometimes it feels impossible to love our neighbors, right? It feels impossible to pray for the people who are, who are persecuting us. But that's why the promise and the presence and the practice matter so much. Because see, when we are dealing with enemies, most of the time, the way we really want to respond is to be afraid or angry, or indifferent, apathetic, or itching for revenge. And Jesus says, don't, don't do any of those things. Jesus says, don't be angry, pray. Don't be afraid, pray. Don't, don't be apathetic and indifferent, don't, don't blow it off, pray. Don't be itching for revenge, pray. So the real question for those of us who profess to follow Jesus Christ is, are we going to listen to Jesus? Will we listen to what Jesus has called us to do? Because if we're honest, again, it is much easier to say, yeah, I can't do that. Yeah, that, that one's too hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to pass on that one. Jesus doesn't understand who I'm dealing with. So we have a choice. We have a choice to listen to Jesus, to listen to his counsel, his advice, his commands, Or we can listen to somebody else. We can listen to the advice of that whiny, complaining, grumpy family member. We can listen to the advice of that bitter friend. We can listen to the advice of the the angry talk radio host. We can listen to the advice of the, the arrogant politician. We can listen to the advice of the person in the mirror which, if we're honest, oftentimes thinks that their opinion is the only opinion that really matters. Or, we can listen to the one who promised to be our Savior and our Redeemer and our friend forever. And our Redeemer says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, it might be helpful to note that this is first and most a personal call, not a public call. The Apostle Paul was writing to the Christians at Rome. He was writing to them about government and law enforcement, and he said this in Romans 13. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. In other words, God, being the one true, holy, sovereign, powerful God, has given authority to government and law enforcement to honor justice and carry out justice. But that's, that's the public call, so to speak. And someone has once said that government and law enforcement haven't really been called to always turn the other cheek. But as believers, because of the promise and presence and practice of Jesus... We actually have been called to follow after Jesus. We've been called to carry the weight of love into the world. That's the weight. It's love. It's love. That's the weight that we need to give us the momentum for what we need and what the people around us need. It is the love. And that love, first and most, the weight of that love, comes from Jesus Christ. And we see that love in his promise. We see that love in his presence. We see that love in his practice. We see that love in his prayers. The weight of that love moves us and the weight of that love should be seen in us. Again, just before Jesus was arrested, he said this to his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice that the language is is not confusing here. Jesus didn't say by denomination. He didn't say by a stained glass sanctuary. He didn't say by a smoke machine worship center. He didn't say by traditional music or a contemporary band. He didn't say by the preacher or by the church staff or by the church members. He didn't say, by the one that you vote for. He didn't say, by any other measurement. Those things can all have their place. But Jesus said, they will know that you are my followers by your love. By by love, people will know that you're a Christian. I heard someone say this this week. When was the last time you were gathered with a group of believers and there was such a supernatural bond between all of you that if an unbeliever walked in, he or she would have thought, no way, no way. I've I've never seen love like this. I've never seen forgiveness like this. fair question right when was the last time we functioned like that at home at work at school at church around other believers that people would say man what, what is it what is it with with these people look this isn't a perfect church I'm not perfect our staff isn't perfect our church members are not perfect in fact none of us are perfect None of us have a perfect marriage. None of us have perfect kids. None of us have perfect parents. None of us, none of us are perfect. And we can't do this perfectly, okay? We, we all know that. But generally speaking, do believers and unbelievers, do they see and hear and read the love of Christ in us? Do our enemies and the people that persecute us, do they see and hear and read the love of Christ in us? Think about where we are during the week and the things we do during life. When we're in traffic, when we're standing in line, when our order is laid at the restaurant, when we're having to stay in the waiting room at the doctor's office and it's been more than an hour. None of us are perfect. We all have our moments, but, but does the world see and hear and read the love of Jesus Christ do they see the higher momentum in our lives do they see the weight of the love of Christ this weight that is good and holy and happy and invigorating and satisfying is it seen in how we do life now someone may say you know what loving your enemies that's foolish that's that's just dumb you know That's how you lose. Lovers are losers. You you can't love your enemy. You fight your enemy. If you love your enemy, that's that's just a sign of weakness. And if that's true, then Jesus was a weak, pathetic liar. Except he wasn't. (laughs) In fact, just a casual look at the historical and supernatural spiritual realities of Jesus. Show him to be the greatest and most incredible person who has ever walked upon the earth. And the greatest and most incredible person that's ever walked upon the earth said, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So maybe a question we could ask is this, do we want to be a great Christian? do we want this church to be a great church? Then if so, we have to quit throwing spiritual gutter balls. We have to begin to wrap ourselves up in the weight of the love of Christ and to let that love increase our momentum, a momentum toward loving our enemies, a momentum toward praying even for those who would persecute us. So what does all this look like in real life? sounds nice how how do, how do we do it how do we pray for difficult spouses how do we pray for rebellious children how do we pray for overbearing parents how do we pray for that teacher that seems way too strict and harsh How do we pray for people that don't vote like us? How do we pray for politicians we don't agree with? How do we pray for bullies? How do we pray for abusers? How do we pray for terrorists? How how do we do this? Well, Jesus has already given us one way, right? From the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. That's how Jesus prayed for his enemies. And listen, it is perfectly okay to pray, God save me from my enemies, okay? It is. It's perfectly okay. God pray, pray, please save me from my enemies. God rescue me from my enemies. God bring justice to my enemies. It's okay to pray that. But part of what it means to be a follower of Christ based on the life and the language of Jesus is that we would also, because of the promise and the presence and the practice of Jesus, we would also move ourselves, gain the momentum to pray, God, save my enemies. God, have mercy on my enemies. God, rescue my enemies. See, that's the weight of love, And why should we pray like that? Because we were once enemies. We were against God and against God's ways even if we didn't really know it. We were only living for self instead of living for the one who loved us and gave his son for us. Through Christ, the curse of sin has lost its grip on us. And so we pray that way because the curse has lost its grip. And we would pray that way for our enemies because there is coming a day where we will stand before a holy God and he will turn to Jesus and Jesus will say, on our behalf, not guilty. This one is is with me, Father. And because of that, because of what we've received, we would pray this way and we would begin to pray, God, because sin's curse has lost its grip on me, God, I pray that sin's curse would lose its grip on my enemies. Sounds impossible, but it's not. Jesus did it and Jesus has called us to do it. But again, what does it look like in real life? How do we pray like this? Well, Jesus taught us. In fact, he gave us a model prayer. And the model prayer is not just for us. It's a prayer that we can use to pray for our enemies. It might sound something like this. Our Father who art in heaven, help my enemies learn to hallow your name. Father, help them see your kingdom as the only one true kingdom, the kingdom that will satisfy them. Give them a desire for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, keep giving them daily bread. Feed them so they can stay alive long enough to hear the gospel and come to Jesus. And God, lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil and from the evil one. What would change if we started praying that for our enemies, for those who persecute us, those who drive us up the wall, those that we we can't deal with? I mean, that prayer sounds super easy, right? (laughs) No, it doesn't. It sounds immensely hard. But we can do it because Jesus did it and he's called us to do it. You know, the reality is when we look at the language of the Bible, it's always either or sometimes, you know? It's not like, as Jesus talked about, you can't be lukewarm. You're either in or you're out. You either love God and you follow him or you really do hate God and hate his ways and you have no intentions of following him. This weekend, we remember in a lot of different corners the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who was well acquainted with enemies and persecutors. And he was once writing about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five. And this is what he said. The question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. Will we be extremists for hate or for love? It's a very true statement when you look at the whole of the Bible, we're either with God or we're, we're against God. We're either with Jesus or we're against Jesus. There's, there's no middle ground. And Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. And it will not be easy. It will be hard. And everything in you will say, it's stupid and it's dumb and I'm not doing that. That's not how my parents raised me. That's not what I believe in. Forget it. But see, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to listen to the hard stuff and go that stuff is good and satisfying even if my mind thinks different. So the call leads us one way or the other toward hate or toward love. In April 1943 Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested for speaking out against Hitler and the Nazi regime. Two years later, in April, he was executed one month before Germany surrendered. Bonhoeffer was writing about these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter five, and and this is what he said. This is the supreme demand. Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Look, that's not natural. (laughs) I told some friends of mine this week, I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. They're like, what? I was like, I decided to start the year off preaching on love. I've lost my mind. This is not natural. It's not easy. It's not even the direction we want to move or that we usually move in. But we can do it. Because Jesus did it. And he's called us to do it and Jesus has said that he is with us always so in the impossible we have a savior we have a redeemer and we have a friend and we have been raised up with Jesus positionally and one day we will be raised up permanently with Jesus and listen 10,000 years from now, we will have 10,000 reasons why it was good and right and holy and glorifying and satisfying to love and pray and forgive. We may not feel it today, but if we'll choose it today, 10,000 years from now, we'll have 10,000 reasons why it was good and right and satisfying so let us take the weight of the love of Christ and let us use that weight to be the momentum in our lives everywhere we go not perfectly because we're not perfect but let's take this love let's take the love of Christ let's use it let it become the momentum that we are known for most the higher and highest momentum in our lives And let us take the weight of the love of Christ. And for our enemies and those that persecute us, let us say, Father, forgive them. Why? Why would we do that? Because, dear Christian, we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven.